My name is David Hershkovitz. I'm the founder of Paper Magazine, and this is Light Culture. Listen, learn, and stay ahead of the curve as I knock heads with cultural disruptors of the past, present, and future. Light Culture is brought to you by Burb, the Vancouver-based cannabis brand. The cannabis space is many things to many people. It includes everyone from legacy growers and consumers with more than 30 years in the game to corporate bros looking to get in on the weed bandwagon now that it's legal in most of America. Some, like my light culture guest today, Whitney Beatty, weren't particularly interested in the plant until a personal transformative experience turned them around. For Whitney, it was a complete pivot from entertainment industry executive to founder of Josephine and Billy's, the nation's first black women-owned cannabis speakeasy. Welcome, Whitney Beatty. Hello, hello. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, great. I'm looking forward to our conversation. I'm curious about your experience in the, the entertainment world and some of it being around the reality TV and what they call non-scripted TV or scripted. What is it? Scripted, right? Yeah, uh, reality non-scripted. Non-scripted. Okay. So throw, throw, giving you a throwback, if you were in the industry now and wanting to do something on the cannabis world, do you have any ideas that you think might work? <laughs> I think right now the, the most interesting show that I could pitch would be right around uh, the dispensary that I'm working at right now. <laughs> Getting JB off the ground has been a workplace reality show for sure. Mm-hmm. Have you been shooting it? Or does it ever occur to you that there's opportunities here that you could really become a part of as well? It absolutely has. Unfortunately, the amount of time that it would take for me to do the shooting with me already working 60 hour, 70 hour weeks, I just can't put another thing on my plate, but it is not lost on me. The the characters that I'm working with, the characters that are coming through the door, there's always, we're always on the brink of something amazing or disaster on an everyday <laughs> basis. That's for lots sure. Lots of drama, lots of drama too. Oh my gosh. <laughs> drama every day. Joseph, and Billy's. Is it a speakeasy? Is it a tea room? Is it a dispensary? What is it? We call it a tea pad. Tea pad. I guess if you're technical with it, we hold a storefront and a delivery license in the city of Los Angeles. But our concept is a tea pad. Tea pads in the, you know, 20s, 30s were where people would come together and consume cannabis um, and alcohol during prohibition, especially if you look in to times of the Harlem Renaissance, that's where you're going to find your great jazz musicians, your great literary um, names, your activists coming together all in one space. Um, and we liked the idea of all of those people coming together. And what would that feel like if they did that today? If we had all of those great names and great ideas in the same space. And so that vibe is what we're trying to build in Josephine and Billy's. The people you mentioned and these tea pads, right? Tea pads, you call yes, them? Yes, absolutely. Which is, I must say, in researching you and this came up, I'm so surprised because I never heard of tea pads. And I, I'm someone who feels like he knows about the history of culture and especially cannabis culture. Surprisingly, didn't know anything about it. But it was an institution. Was it primarily in Harlem or black neighborhoods or was it nationwide? 
Yeah, very well known in communities of color, but they were nationwide. In the same time that you had these speakeasies going along, tea pads were much more well known in communities of color because they were more integrated spaces and cannabis was very ubiquitous there. Um, that's why people who went there were also known as vipers because of the, they consumed cannabis and um, the viper name came because they would, uh, uh, inhale the cannabis and the sound that they made sounded like a, a snake. And so they called themselves vipers. And it was uh, very uh, tightly held around jazz culture. So during prohibition, that you know, a lot of cannabis uh, was consumed there, also a lot of alcohol, but it was also a great place to listen to uh, jazz greats perform very tightly around jazz culture. Did you say it was integrated? Yeah, you would also find white people would be there as well. It was known because that was a place that black people could go as well. So where white people could go, right? Where, <laughs> where, yeah, where black people could go as well. Where white people they, wanted to be cool, they could go there. Exactly. <laughs> Whereas they could not always go to speakeasies. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a fascinating aspect of history. I would love to see some kind of story around something like that, a movie or a TV show or something, or even some history. The people you described that went there were all creatives, it sounded like, or many of them were creatives, talking about musicians and writers and artists. And do you feel like there's an affinity between cannabis and creativity? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I think that it was tightly um, at that time tied to to jazz culture and to creative culture. And jazz musicians said that it was inspiring the music and you hear it in the music and they talked about it in the music, even in the lyrics of the music. And so even though I'm not a jazz expert by any means, but when I was thinking of names for this place and also about concepts for the dispensary because I knew that I wanted a place that was going to focus on women of color. And I was listening to podcasts, actually. And I was hearing a lot of stories about Josephine Baker and Billie Holiday, who are two women who were persecuted for their cannabis consumption. And yet they used their art to fight against injustice and they rejected the mainstream and they wrote their own rules, all while you know holding the door open for other women who came after them. And I thought that it was really important that we hold up women who've paid the ultimate price before us, if, if this was what the goal was, that I would love to be able to pay homage to them with the name of this dispensary. And so that's kind of where Josephine and Billy's came from. And the concept fell from there. Yeah, 100%. They definitely deserve that recognition. And as well as other women, because the way people tend to tell the history stories, women usually don't get the credit they deserve. Absolutely <laughs> not. They say, they say in history, you know, women are generally anonymous. So I yes. love the idea of being able to, you know, bring these two ladies to the forefront and, and also build this place that had this feel of history, but with a, a modern twist. But what is the lounge aspect of it or the tea room? How are you trying to make people comfortable enough? Can people stay there and smoke and hang out or do they have to leave and... Oh, they cannot smoke there yet. Not until the city of Los Angeles allows consumption lounges. Um, mm -hmm. But we do have the lounge space right now, which people use. We use for education and for classes and for hanging out. So 
Right now, people um, definitely come and they hang during, you know, we do tea and terpenes there, which is our signature cannabis education event where we're doing, it's kind of like a cannabis one-on-one, everything from, you know, what is CBD and THC? What is your endocannabinoid system? Everything you always wanted to know about cannabis, but did not want to ask. We also have that space because our store has a ton of books within the store. And what we know for sure is that there is a lack of access to cannabis related information. And so we want, you know, our books and our store are actually not for sale. It's so that people can grab a book and go sit in the back and read it and educate themselves while they're in store. We also, you know, have a variety of events in store. If we have customer appreciation or all those sort of things, come and hang out, sit down, bring friends or what have you, chill out in the space. We really want people to feel comfortable when they come in. We don't want this to be a, you know, buy something and go, you got to get out of here um, as fast right. as you can sort of situation. So that's, you know, the vibe that we're trying to build at GB. Yeah, to create a community and people who can share experiences and interests. Exactly. You know, in New York, we're behind California, but slowly edging towards a time where it will be legal here, recreational uh, lounges are being discussed, which will happen as well at some point. But there's also a lot of conversation about what what are these lounges going to be like? How are they going to work? Because I'm sure you're familiar that there are a few places that are already existing, the kind of speakeasy, illegal version of that, or let, I shouldn't say illegal, but sort of in the gray area of, of legality around that. And one of the critiques is that what is going to interest women particularly? Because you have the man cave and the bro version of where you consume cannabis. And how can... You know, and if you invite a woman to that environment, most of the time, nah, that's not really going to be that cool for oh, them. <laughs> we can get women in easy. I mean, and I think that, that that's the funny part of it. I mean, yeah, guys want to sit around and, and smoke. And I think that to a certain extent, women do too. But edibles really attract women. So being able to, you know, to have a tea house where we can drink cannabis um, becomes nice. But cannabis massages cannabis yoga, cannabis, you know, those sort of things where we can actually, um, you know, uh, moms groups, the amount of people who email us uh, on a weekly basis saying, when is the cannabis moms club coming? When can we, you know, uh, spark up and talk about how our kids are driving us crazy? Um, you know, that is really attractive to people because what moms, what women want is to be able to use cannabis to connect. Can we smoke something and talk about how our men are driving us crazy. <laughs> Being able to have a topic, whatever, cannabis book club, those sort of things is how you get women in the door. But how do you get men and women together communicating, sharing, just enjoying the experience? Absolutely. That, that seems to be a little harder, right? It's about trying to to balance those groups out. And for us, when we do, and you know, for us, we do want that consumption lounge. And it's about doing that programming for both groups. And so we do want to be able to, you know, have cannabis yoga in the mornings and be able to do cannabis massages um, and have some of those other programming things in the daytime and then be able to switch to lounge activities at night um, mm. or maybe uh, movie screenings and all those other things, because there's a lot of things that you can do outside of just allowing people to consume. Because what we've also seen is Got that it. as a financial model, 
that just allowing people to consume is not the best, is not the best model. You're going to have to have some other things going on in a consumption lounge in order to make it financially viable. And so thinking creatively about what you're offering there, about the other things that you're selling there or what have you, you're going to have to do those things. Because if you think about it, cannabis, you sell it by the, the joint or whatever, but you know, if you're timing people out and you're like, smoke this joint and get out in an hour, that's not the best, you know, experience. <laughs> and by the time people get high, they have to get up and go no. um, or what have you. Um, mm-hmm. Especially if you're, you're having people take dabs and, and they have to get up an hour, that becomes a little bit dangerous even. Get people super mm-hmm. high and then they have to, to rise and fly. Um, so how you monetize that situation um, is also part of the, the magic there. So I see you've given this some, uh, quite a bit of thought. <laughs> having started your original insight, as I've learned, was apothecary, which I think was a brilliant insight. I still, you know, what I read about, I go, yeah, that's, that's actually a pretty good idea, which was how do people keep their cannabis and pipes and papers and grinders and you know you tell the story of how you came to the experience yeah absolutely so you know um apothecary is really simple concept really people keep their wine in a wine fridge they keep liquor in a bar they keep cigars and humidors and most people keep their high-end cannabis in a shoebox under their beds and that did not make sense to me i as a mother and a person who had a, a dog i was in the point in time where i was hiding weed at all over my house in order to keep it out of other things' hands. And by the time I found it, you know, it was dried up and I was, you know, this eighth is over here and the grinder is over there and the pipe is over here. And I'm playing a sad game of hide and go seek with myself every time I wanted to have a smoke and it was just ridiculous. And I wanted to have a place, you know, to keep my cannabis that was beautiful and that was keeping it um, in the right conditions. And people rarely think about how cannabis needs to be kept. And at the end of the day, cannabis is a plant and as such needs to be kept in a humidity controlled environment. If it's not, it has the ability to mold, yeah. um, which God knows you don't want to be smoking mold. And the other side of that is that it has the ability to dry out. When it dries out, the trichomes fall off and trichomes is where you're getting that euphoric high from. So if the trichomes fall off, you might as well have bought mids or <laughs> bad cannabis, you know, yeah. crappy cannabis. You shouldn't have spent the good money if you're going to smoke it after you have damaged the plant. And so I decided once I could not find a case to keep it in that I was going to create one. And I created a high-end case for cannabis um, back in 2015. And that's actually how I ended up transitioning out of the entertainment industry. I came up with this idea and I started working on it and working on it. And eventually, as you know, most entrepreneurs do, I you know, lost my mind. I quit my job, sold my house, and um, <laughs> jumped headfirst into the pool that is entrepreneurism <laughs> and uh, started my company Apothecary. And then after a couple of years, the opportunity uh, arose in Los Angeles, uh, the social equity program opened and I uh, applied as a social equity applicant here um, in Los Angeles uh, when that uh, opportunity arose um, with Josephine and Billy's. And so um, that's how I ended up being CEO of both of those companies and founder of both of those companies. <laughs> Well, you mentioned transitioning from your previous work to today, but prior to that, you had to transition from someone who basically said no to drugs, didn't even try. I don't know if you tried it, but you weren't really a cannabis person. Absolutely. 
and then yeah, something I'm happened, like, and right? it's it's funny. I mean, I grew up in Detroit in the '80s. Nancy Reagan told me to say no to drugs. I believed her. Why would Nancy Reagan lie to me? I, I did not <laughs> <laughs> use. I'm like exactly. Now you know. <laughs> 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 I know a lot of things, um, but what ended up happening to me was I was, you know, I was working in the entertainment industry, and as someone who was trying to get ahead at the time, um, I was uh, doing my first director of development gig, working my way up. And as uh, most worker bees in that space uh, do, I was living off of Red Bulls and um, uh, espressos and putting in 18-hour days. Um, and I had a situation where I was sitting at my desk and I started having heart palpitations, chest pains, and cold sweats. Um, you know, my arm was hurting. I thought I was having a heart attack. I thought I was dying. And I didn't want to disturb anybody in the office because I thought that would be embarrassing and, you know, and I was still going to die. So I got up and I drove myself to the emergency room and pulled up to where the ambulance is parked, left my cars, the car there because I was like, well, I'm going to die. They can tow it. And went in and told them I was having a heart attack. And they rushed me back to the EKG and hooked me up and said, hey, lady, you're not having a heart attack. You're having an anxiety attack. And I was like, well, that's not possible because I'm a type a personality and we don't have anxiety so you're gonna have to run that again <laughs> but um eventually they were able to convince me that that was true um and that i was having an anxiety attack and that i was gonna have to figure out how to deal with that and you know the doctors had suggested lots of different medications and i tried them and i didn't like any of them and finally my doctor in an offhand comment had said to me well why don't you try you know cannabis have you looked into cannabis and i you know for me as a kid who grew up in the 80s i um in in Detroit and saw the effects of the war on drugs, I was like, you know, are you, you know, she could have been saying, you know, have you tried heroin? You know, because for me, drugs was drugs was drugs. And this woman was trying to put me on drugs. Um, and I was just, I was floored. But what she did was she made me have to do my homework. She made me do research. Um, and so I started looking into cannabis and I was shocked. I mean, you don't know what you don't know until you, you start doing some homework. Um, and I learned about my endocannabinoid system and I learned about CBD and I learned about the entourage effect. Um, and I started using cannabis um, for anxiety um, and it changed my life. But even maybe even more importantly, I learned about the war on drugs. I learned about how that came to pass. I learned how we went from 40,000 black men in prison to uh, half a million. I learned how targeted it was. I heard, learned about Harry Anslinger, who was uh, responsible for prohibition, who said things like, uh, reefer makes darkies think they're as good as white men. I learned about, you know, reefer madness and even the word marijuana, um, who, you know, that was coined in order to tie the plant to Mexican immigrants that were coming in. I was able to educate myself on the stigma that I held so tightly and where it came from and why. And after all of that, I was like, whoa. And I really had to look around at, you know, not just myself, but also the industry that I was in, how big of a role media has played in the way that we all view cannabis um, and the way that we think about it. Um, you know, uh, this is your brain. This is your brain on drugs, you know, and, you know, the, that frying egg in the pan, you know, the, I learned it from watching you, all of these things that have played <laughs> um, for, for people who are my age. And it really changed the game uh, for me because then it made me see um, not only how wrong I was, but how, how that misinformation has, has, 
turned my community away from this plant medicine and how we were missing out on opportunities to get into this industry that could be, you know, a 60 to $80 billion space. Communities of color has been disproportionately disenfranchised by war on drugs for years and in, in legalization, we're not participating um, for a number of reasons, but it's absurd um, that we're not participating because of a fear that we're going to get arrested. And we do get arrested. Don't get me wrong. We get arrested sure, disproportionately, yeah. you know, somewhere between three and 11 times more yeah. likely, even in places like in New, New yeah. York, where, you know, in 2020, 90% of cannabis arrests no, were black men. <laughs> yeah, no, soon. Still, we have a long way to go. As you're very competent, obviously, women have already accomplished quite a bit. But as you were out there going to raise money, Presumably, right? You needed money. You can't open a dispensary. You cannot. Just to build out a space, mm. to get the real estate, to do everything else. So in your experiences, so you're a woman of color, you're a woman, two strikes against you, and, and certainly you're in the cannabis space, another it's strike. Not good. It's not good. It's not good at all. Really... <laughs> These are all <laughs> negative things when it comes to, to fundraising. Banks are not going to give you money. Cannabis is still federally illegal. You cannot go to Bank of America and get a loan for cannabis. It becomes very difficult fundraising within this space. You know, you're... But also women... 2% of generally, VC I mean, dollars example, are going case, to female-led businesses. You're stuck yeah. in a space where you have to deal with VCs or you have to deal with angel investors. Um, you know, people of color, you're talking about, you know, black people have about $40,000 of uh, of uh, wealth with, within their, their family is the number. So that's not a lot of angel investors within the, those communities. And then you've got VCs um, mm. who have given 0.0006% of their money to black female led businesses. So yeah, it's kind of difficult, especially when you know that um, dispensaries need about 1.2 to $2 million um, in funding in order to get off the ground. And yet, <laughs> and yet. <laughs> and yet you were able to do it partially funded by Jay-Z's social equity fund. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. So um TPCO um, has a social um, equity TPCO. fund, um, and I've never been one to shy away from a challenge. So, um, and it's funny because um, how what ended up happening is I had you know I had a, a previous VC um, partner who had um, who actually bankrupted during um, COVID, um, and uh -huh. um, I was kind of beating my head against the wall, like what am I going to do now? And I ended up talking to some friends of mine um, who said, you know what, Whitney, you don't need to um, partner with another MSO or another big player. We have the skill set um, to do this. Let's, mm -hmm. you know, um, and so that's how I ended up partnering with my business partner, Ebony Anderson, who serves as our COO and is, is my business partner. Um, and she was like, you go out and raise the money and I'm going to do the compliance and ops um, and we're going to get this done. And I ended up um, pitching um, TPCO when I heard about that fund um, and they came in as our lead investor right on time um, and allowed us to be able to build out and get this dispensary opened. Um, it was a huge get for us um, because again, funding becomes one of the biggest um, hurdles for um, entrepreneurs of color within the cannabis space. We're still in a point in time where there's less than 4% of cannabis businesses are owned by, um, by 
Black people and less than 1% of licensed cannabis businesses. So that representation is incredibly important because it allows us to be able to uh, really support an inclusive supply chain. We have a edict. Um, a, we have dedicated ourselves to make sure that we really support Black, Brown, women-led, and LGBTQ-led um, brands within our store because we know how hard it is for those brands to be able to find shelf space. Um, and so we want to make sure that we have an opportunity, we have an opportunity to allow those brands to have the, the, you know, the option to sell within our store um, and get them um, the eyes of cons- customers within Los Angeles. I can't help thinking, though, if you weren't a woman, if you were a man, that they would have given you more money, do you think? Um, you said it, you said it, but not me. And uh, I know, yeah. I, I'm not going to disagree with you. What I will tell you is this, that the average um, white man who raises money raises $1.4 million. And the average black female that goes out and mm-hmm. raises money raises $40,000. Even though black females are the largest cohort of business um, starters out there right now. And so it's still, you know, we're still out there mm-hmm. raising money. We still don't have enough money to do the things that we need to to do. And so every day is a struggle for us to make sure that people know that we're out there, that we're um, that that we're in business um, and that it's important that people support, you know, these equity businesses um, because we're out here, um, you know, trying our hardest um, to stay in business and to let people know how important it is um, to, to get that buy in from the customer base. And Billy and Josephine, so you're open, you welcome everyone, men, women. Oh, for sure. I mean, we say that, you know, (laughs) we are, you know, that we focus on women of color, but we serve everyone. I'd say that about 50% of the people that come in our door are females, um, which is, you know, great. But we service everybody. We have so many men that come in our door and they, they, they come in because they're like, we appreciate the fact that you guys focus on education. Our store is designed by Terping Profile. Terps are are a much better way to decide how cannabis is going to make you feel than sativa and indica. Mm. So being able to come in the store and and know that, you know, these, um, you know, this section over here is myrosine heavy or pinene heavy or limonene heavy. That is going to give you a much better idea of how that plant is going to affect you, how it's going to make you feel. And they love that sort of education. They like the idea that they're not going to have a lot of pressure. They like the idea that the store isn't behind glass, that they come in and they can touch the packaging um, and that they can chat with our wellness advocates and they're going to talk uh, to them about every product out there and that there's not going to be a lot of pressure. Um, they're some of our best um, loyal customers. We see them on a weekly basis. That sounds cool. I can't wait to go out there myself Please next do. time I'm in LA. Uh, I want to, and I'll, I'll try to say hi yes. as well if you're there. So thank you, Whitney Beatty, for being on the Light Culture thank Podcast. Thank you so much for having today. me. It was a pleasure. You've been listening to Light Culture. You can find us at shopburb.com, Light Culture, or at Light Culture Podcast. Thanks again to Burb. You can follow them at ShopBurb on Instagram. And don't forget to subscribe to and review the show. If you would like to get in touch, reach out to me directly at David Reporting. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.